Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. An old baseball adage goes like this, momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher. Once today is done, there's no carryover to the next. Sometimes our spiritual momentum is tomorrow's circumstances. Lead teacher Jeff Norris finishes the series Exodus with this sermon entitled The Glorious Power of Gospel Memory, which covers Exodus chapter 15. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'll pray for us and uh, we'll jump in. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the continued privilege it is uh, to gather together as your people in the various capacities that that looks like in, in this season. We give you praise. We thank you that you are a God who receives our worship with gladness. And we pray, oh God, that you would, um, you would bless this time as we open your word. Would you give us insight and perspective that can only come from you? As we've already prayed this morning, Lord, would you, would you soften our hearts? Would you do a work in us and through us that only you can do through your Holy Spirit? So as we pray often, God, would you give us ears to hear? And would you give us eyes to see, eyes of faith, to see the, the glory and the beauty of who you are, King Jesus. And we pray it in your holy and matchless name. Amen. Memory. Memory is a powerful thing. Just this past two weeks ago uh, from today, after the services were over, after we had finished up here at the church, I immediately went back to my office and changed clothes and hopped in the car and drove four and a half hours to the little town that I grew up in to go to the house that I grew up in that my parents have had for 41 years. I came home to that house when I was nine months old. It's the only place I remember. When I think of my parents' house, that's the house I think of. And after 41 years, the Lord has led them, my parents, to sell the house. It's the right decision. My my sister and her family live in Birmingham, get some two hours closer to us and right next door to, to my sister and her family. So I go back home to help my parents pack up as much as I can in about a 36-hour time frame that, that I had. And I had told them previously, I'd said, you know, don't, don't touch the room that I grew up in. I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll go in there and I'll uh, gather everything that I can, throw away as much as I, as I possibly can and keep whatever is needed to keep. And so on the drive over, I was, um, I was already feeling uh, the nostalgia. I'm a sentimental guy, especially with memories. And I had a great childhood. And so I was praying lots of prayers of thanksgiving on the way there. And I picked my sister up in Birmingham on the way, and we drove up the last couple of hours together. And and we're there, just my sister and I, without our spouses or kids, and my mom and dad. Just the four of us, like it, like it was when we were growing up there. And it was interesting, as we were looking at the house from the outside, as we're coming in, I stood outside the house, and I'm looking at all the things that I remember happening there on that plot of land. We lived in this neighborhood called Woodland Hills, very self-descriptive of 
the terrain of the neighborhood. We had the only flat yard in the neighborhood. Only flat yard and only yard, the only yard without trees. So our house was the house where everything happened. All the kids came to play football and baseball and basketball at, at my house. At the end of our yard, when my parents had the lot cleared uh, and, and the trees taken down, they dug up some of these some big rocks that were in the soil and they stacked those rocks at the end of our yard and stacked them on top of each other. Well, naturally, that became our clubhouse. That was the rocks. All the kids in the neighborhood would say every day, it was a common saying, meet at the rocks, meet at the rocks, meet at the rocks. Just down from the rocks, maybe another three or 400 yards was the neighborhood pool where I lived in the summer. So many great memories come flooding back. And as I spent time in the house, I would go from room to room, and I'm remembering all of the memories there, what took place in the kitchen, all the significant conversations and meals and, and all the things that happened that were significant to, to me and who I became as a person. And in the living room, not so much the dining room, we ate there once a year, <laughs> Christmas. But in the den, all the times that we had together as a family, and then make my way up to my room. And I realized that over the years, I was a hoarder. There was so much there. So I spent the majority of my time in that room that I grew up in and packing up what I could and, and being um, disciplined as I could be to throw things away. And so I threw, threw away three bags, huge garbage bags, industrial-sized garbage bags of stuff. I was proud of myself because I only kept three boxes. Two smaller boxes that just keepsakes and notes and different things like that that I had written over the years, many of which are embarrassing. And then one bigger box uh, that had things in it, like all the trophies, uh, that sounded, started to sound arrogant, all the trophies that I won over the years. And it, not, it wasn't that many, but, but they were taller-ish, so they had to go in a bigger box. And so I put those in there, and Rachel's asking, why am I bringing those home? And I'm like, well, the kids would probably want to see those. And she's like, uh, no, no, they, <laughs> I, I don't think they do, Jeff. <laughs> I don't think they care like you think they do about middle school and high school trophies. But I can't throw them away. I worked hard for those things. And so they're now sitting in a box in my basement. But I'm packing all this stuff up. And yeah, there was a part of me that was sad, of course. There was all these memories and there was this sentimentality that came with them. But let me tell you what was overwhelming. What was overwhelming was gratitude. Thanksgiving. At the faithfulness of God. At the faithfulness of God to give me what he gave me. He didn't owe me anything. And so I prayed lots of prayers and continue to do so. That God would give me a family that he did. That God would give me a home that he did. That God would give me the experiences that he did. All of which shaping me, shaped me in, into the adult that I am that he prepared me for. Now, of course, I'm remembering also other aspects of growing up there. I'm remembering that in this one room that we had exer exercise equipment in, I'm remembering how I had hurt my knee in football and I had surgery and I'm rehabbing on an exercise bike that we have in that room and my knee tears again what they had tried to repair. I'm remembering that. It's not a great memory. 
I'm remembering all the times that I got in trouble. I'm remembering the pane of glass that I broke with a baseball. I'm remembering the hole in the wall of my room that I hid with a poster after I hit the wall after being mad uh, after having a conversation with my girlfriend and she broke up with me. So there's all kinds of memories. Memories often lead us to a place of joy or memories lead us to a place of despair. And sometimes we want to forget memories. Sometimes we want to remember memories, if you will. Memories are often tied so closely to one of two things, to joy or to grumbling, to rejoicing or to complaining. Because we are a people that what's deep within our human nature, what's deep within our sin nature, is a propensity to forget. And let me be specific. Not just to forget in general, but to forget the good and remember what we perceive to be the bad. It's not that we're a people who choose to forget necessarily. It's a people who just don't want to remember. It's how we were made. I mean, I want you to think about the garden. Uh, what, what has been bred into us from the sin nature within us is, is that from the very beginning, we were distrusting of God and his goodness. And we were forgetful of his purposes, what he had laid out for life to be. And so our first parents, Adam and Eve, displayed this, but then we were born into them to where, think about this, as soon, as soon as they determined that what they want for their life, that the glory that they want is better than the glory that God has given them, what do they do? They, they forget. They forget that God is good. So when he calls for them in the garden, what do they do? They hide in shame. Forgetfulness is a big part of who we are, but so is memory. Are we remembering the right things, or are we forgetting the things that we should be remembering? What's interesting about our text this morning, and I had originally wanted to take us further into the book of Exodus before we wrapped up this part one, which by the way, this is the last week of our study in Exodus for this year. Next year in the fall, we're going to pick up on part two of Exodus. And I had wanted to get us further, but as I, as I read in, in Exodus, I just I thought, I can't skip over this. So I wanted to get us all the way to chapter 19. We're going to fall woefully short. Because today we're going to be in chapter 15, and then I'll point us to chapter 16 and 17. But I want you to listen to the words of God in chapter 15 of Exodus. Now think about where we've been. Think about what we've studied so far in the book of Exodus and think about the culmination of the power of God that has just been on display, the rescuing power of God, the redeeming power of God that has been on display recorded for us in chapter 14. And really, even before chapter 14, that's kind of the culmination of it in the crossing of the Red Sea. Before that, it was all kinds 
of things on display as far as the power, the rescuing power of God, as he displayed his dominion over all things of the earth through the plagues and then ultimately through the Passover and the lamb, the blood of the lamb that was painted on the doorpost of the, of the people of God to say, I am trusting in a sacrifice to deliver me out of slavery. So all of that has happened. And look what happens in chapter 15. The initial response of God's people is exactly what should be instinctive within us. That when we contemplate the power, uh, the redeeming power of God in our lives, what do we do? We praise him. We remember even what just happened. We're already exercising the muscle of memory in our hearts and in our minds to say, you did that, God. You are faithful, you are powerful, you are majestic, you are rescuer, you are the one who delivers your redeemed from the darkness. And so that's what they do. Listen to these words. I'm going to read. Just let the scriptures sit on you this morning. I'm going to to read chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. This is right after the crossing of the Red Sea. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Which, by the way, I always see the songs that they sing, and I'm like, wow, they wrote songs really differently back then than we do. Where's the chorus? Where's the bridge? Where's verse 1 and verse 2? I don't, I don't, it's, I'd, I'd love to know how they sang this. But it's beautiful words. Listen, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Imagine upwards of a million people singing these words. 
Verse 19, for when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. Here's the first thing that I want you to remember this morning. We'll see this on the screen. I don't remember exactly how I worded it. They redeemed, the redeemed of the Lord rejoice as they remember the goodness of God. It's gospel remembrance. What does gospel mean? It means good news. What is the good news that Israel is remembering? They're remembering that their God saved them. That the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God most high, rescued them. And so what are they doing? They're immediately, as soon as they've crossed into dry, uh, over, over dry land into the other side of the sea, they're looking back and they're rejoicing. They're celebrating what God has done. Remember. Remember what I said in the last couple of weeks. Exodus 14 is a microcosm of the whole narrative of Exodus, which is that there is a God who pursues his long-lost bride to rescue her. And in so doing, he crushes the very face of evil so that she may be his forever and ever. That's the story not only of Exodus, that's the story of the Bible. That's the redemptive story of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has pursued his long-lost bride bride to the other most, and that in so doing, in marrying her, he has crushed the very head of the serpent, the very face of evil itself. Why? So that she and all of her flaws and all of her ways in which she is not worthy of a husband like him, he brings her in, he unites him to herself so that she may be with him forever and ever and ever. And as we contemplate and remember the gospel, we rejoice. There is a great power and joy in gospel remembrance. It is a muscle that we must exercise every day of our lives. For the Christian, for the Christian, part of our responsibility is every single morning that we wake up, the first thing, if not the first thing, one of the first things that we're doing is we're getting before the Lord and wherever that space is, and we are saying to God, I rejoice in my salvation. Thank you, O God that you are who you are. Thank you that you are a God that redeems. Thank you that you are a God that pursues relentlessly a bride that didn't want you. Thank you that you are a God that has taken this wrecked and hard heart and made it soft and turned it and shaped it and moved it to the things of God. Thank you, O God, that you're a God of unthinkable, unimaginable grace. Thank you that you're a God of deliverance. Thank you that you are a God of mercy. Thank you that you are a God of love that never stops. Thank you for my salvation. Gospel remembrance is a necessity. It is an absolute imperative for the Christian. Just as it was for the Israelites who, upon crossing into newness of life, deliverance from the slavery of Egypt, 
What do they do instinctively? They rejoice. You know what else they do instinctively? They forget. You keep reading the very next verses of chapter 15. Verse 22 says this, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitterness. Verse 24, And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam where they were where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. In other words, God is saying, you're really grumbling? Really? Do you know what? You read chapters 16 and 17. I'll encourage you to do that on your own this week. You know what you're going to read? You're going to read the same pattern. God provides, God delivers, God gives, and it gets even more extraordinary every time. This time it was just throwing a log into the water that turns the water sweet and him saying, look, remember, I'm your healer. But next time they're going to grumble and it's going to get more intense each time. And they're going to say, why did, why did, Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? We want to go back that you would bring us out here to die. And God drops manna from the sky, this bread-like sweet substance that would be like dew on the ground. And he tells them to gather it. And then he gives them more water, and God keeps providing to a people who keep forgetting. I mean, think about that. And before, before I say what I'm about to say, uh, get out of your mind, if you will, that Israel is somehow different than we are. Because we're the same. Because it's easy for us to go, are these people really grumbling? I mean, they just saw him Three days previous. It's not like it's been like three years and you go, oh, yeah, what was that that he did? Three days they've seen the sea split open. And they're grumbling because they're thirsty. I get it. Of course, when I'm thirsty, I grumble. But this is, do we not know who our God is? But they forget. And the Lord reminds, and they rejoice, and then they forget. And the Lord reminds, and they rejoice, and they forget. And the Lord reminds, and they rejoice, and they forget. It's the rhythm of the human heart. We are a forgetful people. Remembering the things that we shouldn't and forgetting the things that we should. The struggle of the Christian life is to remember. Remember the gospel. Remember who your God is. Remember what's true for the one who has been redeemed. Here's the second point that 
It's true, the redeemed of the Lord grumble as they question the goodness of God. Are you questioning this morning the goodness of God? I want to share with you some things that I think probably should be shared. Places that come deep from your pastor's heart from a place of grieving what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a people both in this church and in churches all throughout America forgetting. Forgetting the gospel. Forgetting who our God is. Forgiving, forgetting the sure, unshakable kingdom that we're a part of. There is nothing, nothing more disheartening or discouraging to a pastor than to preach with everything that you have on Sunday pointing to the majesty and sufficiency of Jesus and wake up to emails on Monday of disappointment that I didn't declare a political statement from the pulpit. And it's not just me. Every pastor I'm talking to, every single one, deeply discouraged. Deeply, because they're trying to lead a people who have forgotten. who are so full of fear that we act as though that we're not a part of an unshakable kingdom. That are so discipled by news feeds, hours upon hours upon hours every day, that we've forgotten to anchor in the deep sureness, surety of the word of God and the excellencies and the sovereignty of King Jesus, who is reigning over the nations even as we speak. You know that as I was studying this week, something I feel like the Spirit led me to was a couple of verses in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 17 says this. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was when Peter wrote that? It was Nero. You know what Nero was doing to Christians? He was feathering them with tar, impaling them on sticks, and using them as torches in his garden. I am not making a political statement. I am simply saying this. In the midst of some of the greatest persecution in the history of the world for Christians, the apostle Peter said to believers, honor everyone. Fear 
God. Do you know what else he said after that? In the next chapter, he said, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. One of the things that I'm seeing in the church that troubles me greatly is that many of us have forgotten our hope. We've forgotten that there is a hope within us. It's it's called the hope of glory. And his name is Jesus. The scriptures say that. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. And the scriptures tell us that he dwells within those who have been redeemed by God. Those who have been brought from darkness into light through the, the waters of judgment that he took for us covering himself with the wrath of God so that we would go free. And we have this hope of glory, but we live as though we don't. Here's here's my struggle right now. He says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have when asked. Here's my fear. Nobody's asking us about our hope. Because we're not living as though we read the verse, some of us, some of us read the verses, always be ready to give an answer for the hostility that you have. That's not the Christian way. That's not Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're not to be a people so wrecked with fear that we become a people of hostility towards those that don't agree with us. We're to be a people who remember the gospel. We're to be a people who don't forget the hope that we have. We're to be a people who press into those who are against us the most. Those are the ones we press in the most with. Those are the ones that we have hope the most with because we are the ones who are to pray for our enemies. The thing that troubles me most in the church right now as I look across the landscape of America is that we've turned in on ourselves. that we, we have lost and forgotten the culture of trust that is to be among the brotherhood. And what's to be among the brotherhood is this, that we trust one another, that we love one another, that we honor one another, that we care for one another, and that things that the enemy longs to use to divide us pale in comparison to the unity that we have under the banner of the blood and the love of Jesus. We cannot forget. We cannot forget that a kingdom has come and is coming in full that will win the day. Christ is returning. The gospel is true. His kingdom is sure. And our hope is eternal. So we live like it. As your pastor, can I encourage you to do something? And I'll trust that this lands on the hearts that it needs to. There are some of us who, for the sake of the holy work of God within us, need to do two things. 
We need to turn the news sources off, and we need to get off social media. And sit in the presence of your King Almighty with his word and say, oh God, do your work in me and do your work through me. When we forget the gospel, when we forget the truths of the kingdom of God, we become a people that I liken to someone who is in the latter stages of Alzheimer's. We become a people who are a shell of what we ought to be because we've been riddled with forgetfulness. But when we put, when we put the music of the gospel back in our ears, when we put the music of the good news of Jesus back in our ears, we remember the dance of Miriam. Miriam grabbed her tambourine she was so overcome with joy of the God who had delivered them that she gets out into the midst of the people and she begins to shake that tambourine and dance and sing unto the Lord. And the other women followed her lead and they remember the song of deliverance. And they rejoice. You may have seen this video this past week that went viral that illustrates this right before us. It's a video of a lady who actually ended up, this is an older video that for whatever reason just got released this week and started getting shared in all kinds of places. And it was, it's a video of Marta Gonzalez, who was a ballerina who danced for years and years in Swan Lake. She's riddled with this horrible disease of Alzheimer's. She doesn't remember anything. But when the music of Swan Lake is put on her ears, watch what happens. Thank you. 
we put the gospel music back into our ears. And may we remember together to dance the dance of the hope of glory that is only found in Jesus. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Jesus, you are our hope and our salvation. You are our strong tower, our mighty fortress. You are king, you are Lord. And you have delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. Make us a people who remember. Make us a people who rejoice. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.